The passage I want us to consider today is from Philippians and Philippians chapter four. And I want to read the, the, the uh, first uh, four, first, not four verses, more than four, right? Seven verses. Um, chapter four, <laughs> one to seven. Again, Philippians chapter four, one to seven. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast and the Lord beloved, I implore Iodia and I implore Sinti to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companions, help these women who labored with me in the gospel and with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. May God add his blessing to his word as we consider this passage. This passage is part of an exhortation, if you would. Uh, actually, the whole letter is probably an exhortation. And uh, it is from God through the Apostle Paul. It's to Philippi. Philippi happens to be one of the first, or the first uh, Greek city that Paul ministered. And um, it obviously has, very similar to Corinth and what we've been looking at during the Bible instruction, has a lot of similar issues in terms of uh, divisions and, and problems and, and um, even persecutions. And so Paul is seeking to um, exhort the church and uh, to uh, further to implore them. And we see that word implore in, in verse two. Um, a exhortation, what is an exhortation? Um, or what is imploring? Um, the word exhortation is actually not from Greek, but it's rather from French and Latin. So there's something that came good out of the French language. Um, and, uh, but that word in English today generally seems to mean or have more of a meaning of urging or just encouraging, uh, kind of pushing something along um, rather than uh, perhaps our word uh, implore as it's used. An implore has a more, maybe more of a, a notion of a begging or pleading. 
Um, but the actual word uh, that is used here in the Greek really means to call here. Uh, it's two words together. Kaleo is a word for call, and, and para, which is in front of it, that is here. And uh, so if you think of it more rather than just a pleading, uh, which is important, or a, as a urging, which is important, it's more like when a mom sees Junior doing something wrong and she says, come here, all right? There, there's authority in those words. There's power being displayed in those words even. And the, uh, the notion of imploring here with Paul is a little stronger than just, I, I just want you to encourage, it speaks of two ladies as uh, apparently having an issue. There's a division between them. And Paul is saying um, that they need to do something. They need to be of the same mind. The same mind. So that is actually my first point, is having a sound mind. Uh, but it also ties to the fact that they are to stand fast. So you have two things being said here. One is stand fast, and the other is to um, be of the same mind. Now, it sounds like being of the same mind is actually moving from a position of standing fast. If I'm standing fast, and you're standing fast, and we have a division, guess what? It's called a draw. Nobody's winning, okay? It's a standoff, okay? But Paul's saying here that we are to have this, um, we, we are to, to implore them to have the same mind, but again, it is in along with this standing fast. So, how do these two things come together? The notion of standing fast is not separated from their being together. It's not, it's not a bridge, if you would, that, that, that or a bridge is created by it, but rather the standing fast is that they are coming together and they're going to agree. They're standing fast in the Lord, not in themselves. Okay, so it's not really, it's not as if Paul is saying, okay, you stand your ground there, you stand your ground here, and oh, by the way, you should be of the same mind. He's saying you should stand fast in the Lord so the first point of resolution is they need to both be committed to Christ, to God, to the scriptures, as it's been revealed to them. They are be, to be committed to that, and they are to stand fast in that. Then he encourages them to 
be of the same mind. Now, so there's a division between these women. But well, one thing we want to understand is these women are not some kind of, uh, of scallywags, is one word I came up with, I don't know why, um, or, or rascals, or are just, they're, they're planting all, all kinds of things that are, are unhealthy for the church. They're bad women. No, Paul says, no, you're not bad women. What's he say about them? Okay, he says in verse three, and I urge you also, true companions, help these women who labor with me in the gospel. This is the apostle Paul saying, these women help me in the gospel. They also, with Clement also, they're helping Clement. And the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are written in the book of life. In other words, those fellow workers Paul knows are believers. These women have been instrumental in serving the church. But there is a division. And it needs to be resolved. Now, what's he say again at the beginning of verse three? And I urge you also, true companions, who is the you here? It's the church. Paul's not only saying these women need to work it out, Paul's saying the church needs to help them. The church needs to support them. The church needs to work with them so that they will indeed um, be resolved. Powerful message for us. Having the same mind. Standing fast. And then from there, he goes to an interesting verse. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So Paul is commending them now to rejoice. In the midst of the trial, in the midst of the division, in the midst of the, the heartache, in the midst of perhaps feeling betrayed, being ignored, whatever it is, we don't know the detail of it. Within that, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, and he feels an obligation to repeat it. Again, I say rejoice. And by the way, he's already said it a couple times before we got here. And we know from scripture, whenever anything is repeated, it, 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 it goes from a little slap to a punch to a baseball bat, okay? There's force in repeating in the language. And so Paul is telling them, instructing them to rejoice, them, not in themselves, not in how they're going to even be able to resolve anything, but to rejoice in the Lord. It brings us back to stand fast in the Lord. It's one and the same. 
Then he talks about, let your gentleness be known to all men. Again, the Lord is at hand. Paul has not removed one single exhortation here from the Lord. He's not removed one single exhortation here from the fact that this is in the mind of the Lord. In verse two, that we have a joy and crown in the Lord in verse one. And here even this gentleness because the Lord is at hand. So this has two weights that it carries. One is that we're still in the Lord. We're standing fast. We're not resolving things until first we understand what it means to stand in the Lord. That is required. And then it is through that and by that that we can truly rejoice in the Lord and that we can deal gently. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Again, this, the phrase the Lord is at hand has two implications to it. A lot of times when you see the Lord is at hand, it means that the Lord is coming soon. It's a forward looking. But here it's much more the Lord is at hand. He is at he is present. He is present even with them in all of this. And because the Lord is present, because the Lord is there, verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. It could also be rendered be careful for nothing, although that one, that phraseology takes a little bit more uh, explaining because be careful for nothing. Calvin makes a, a strong case that that sense of uh, being careful for nothing is mainly referring to the things that we see in the world around us. That we're not disturbed, that we're not upset, okay? But the nothing seems to be pretty broad. <laughs> be anxious for nothing. In other words, whatever our expectations are, whatever our hopes are, we don't want to get to the point of being anxious. And what does anxious mean? I can't wait. I have to make it happen now. Okay. So we are to not be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, which is going right back to standing fast in the Lord. Because when we stand fast in the Lord, guess what? We're praying. We're thanking God for what he has done. We're making our request known knowing that he will bring them about and not us. And then we're given here a tremendous uh, promise. 
forgiven, uh, if you would, the results of following this counsel from the apostle. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, if you go back to the chapter one of Philippians, you see that it is talking about Christ in the gospel going out and being preached. If you go to chapter two, it's talking about the mind of Christ. If you go to chapter three, you find where it's talking about believers in, as citizens in heaven through the merit of Christ. And a great, tremendous encouragement that we have, particularly in three, in verse 12, not that I've already attained it or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. And so there's this tremendous focus on the work of Christ, the resurrection, and yes, is God the Father involved? Absolutely. Who sends the Son, the Father? Is the Holy Spirit involved? Absolutely. It is standing in, as we stand fast, as we pray, we are praying in the Spirit. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We just learned that from Corinthians. And in that, as we do that, as we're committed to that, we have a promise that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ. Now notice what we began with, having the same mind, okay? And then this promise, this blessing from God that what? That God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ. So even as they're seeking to resolve it, and Paul's, exhorting them to do that, they already have a promise from God that we will, in fact, reach this place where we will have the peace of God. And what is the peace of God? Peace of God is a free conscience before God, knowing that we have been made righteous in Christ. It's having a true and biblical sense of liberty and truth and moral uprightness. The peace of God is not disrupted by the evils around us. We may, have, we may see all kinds of wars, rumors of wars, all kinds of things, violence, but it does not disrupt the peace that comes from God. It's also a knowledge that we know that we are not left destitute. We are not left as orphans. God is with us. 
which, oh, by the way, happens to be the name of the church in Palo, right? Emmanuel. So this peace that comes is a result of this receiving this exhortation from Paul. It's not a matter of works. It's a matter of get over here. This is where you belong. That's the exhortation. You belong, you are in Christ. You have the spirit in you. You have the ability to, um, to, to read, to understand the scriptures. You have the ability to learn about the faith that you have. Why? Because God gave it to you. God gives us these things where we never approach them as a matter of merit, but we approach them. We give ourselves to the reading. We give ourselves to prayer, to supplication, to thanksgiving. And yes, we make all our requests known. But we rest in what God has done and the peace that God gives. We have a rest. And even though everything around us collapses, we have that peace because it's not of ourselves. It's not of this world. It's of God who brings it to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. So a couple thoughts regarding how we're to think about this, how we're to apply this. Notice that the apostle did not ask these women to simply resolve the issues between them without the church. We should not either. When we have difficulties, we should bring them to the church. And we should seek the help of the church as Paul exhorted the believers in Philippi to do. We do need to work to resolve issues. And they don't get any easier the longer they hang in the air, particularly in time. Aspects of it, issues are forgotten, circumstances can change, and then a lot of things can fall by the wayside. So a prompt pursuing of resolution is important. Secondly, by way of application, is understanding our working to resolve issues between believers must be done in gentleness. The only way this happens is if we truly grab hold that the Lord is at hand. When our hope is in God, we all of a sudden have an ability 
to deal with issues in a completely different frame of mind. If we begin to think that we're going to lose the argument, we really need to pause. Because a lot of times when we say we want to lose the, or we're going to lose the argument, as we're thinking of ourselves and how we're going to defend or not defend. But rather, again, we rest upon God working these things. And as we do so, we can be patient. We can be gentle. And we need to be. Because it's Ultimately, it's all for God's glory. And that is my third application, is that all of this is done by God. It's his work, it's his promises that will give us peace, which surpasses all understanding. When we have that, it opens up completely different ways communication even. It gives us a rest so that true gentleness can be expressed and that we can truly be thankful in the end for what God has brought about, how he is blessed. And he does bless, he does care. And again, a tremendous passage uh, in terms of a, a particularly a New Testament promise that's written throughout the Old Testament. But here we have it as simple, if you would, as there's an argument between two women. The church is called to come and to resolve. And the end of it is uh, that the Lord is glorified. And so the church, as well as these women, as well as those that she's been, they've been supporting, can truly stand fast and be of the same mind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise for truly you are good to us. Truly you do show us, truly you do teach us, truly you do uh, guide us even in the simplest things in our lives, in terms of our relationships with one another, in terms of, uh, of our being able to, to speak to one another in, in gentleness and kindness, and how it is that we can even now come before you and pray for your blessing, that we can pray for uh, the thanksgiving that is due your name, how you truly have worked a miracle in each one of us uh, to bring us to the knowledge of the truth. We thank you for that. And again, we ask your blessing in Christ's name. Amen.